Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Return to the Word. Today is our last study together in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And if you have your Bible handy, head to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, Paul starts out by addressing different topics that impact the body of Christ. Take a look at how this begins in verses 12 and 13. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Now, I come to the conclusion that there are at least two basic reasons that these two verses grind so many in the church the wrong way. First is the long history of men who have done such a poor job laboring in the Word of God and serving the body of Christ. And secondly is the issue of pride. Pride is alive and well in the church, and the bottom line is that we all like to believe that we have the right interpretation of the Word of God. Listen, each verse, each text of the Bible only can have one correct meaning. It is a fundamental rule of language that words themselves have meaning, and our opinions about the Word of God, well, they don't really matter. What matters is the meanings of the words on the page that God wrote down for us. When there is a lack of concern for what the Word of God actually says, well, there will always be a lack of respect for those who labor in the Word. There seems to have been some tension on this subject at Thessalonica, so the first bit of instruction was that they would recognize or respect those who serve the body of Christ. Part of the meaning carried with the word recognize or know or respect, depending on your translation, means to come to an understanding of their labor, understanding their importance to the work of Christ. Notice how Paul instructed the church to recognize those, referring here to a plurality of men. I believe the evidence of Scripture teaches that the New Testament churches were typically taught by a plurality of men. At the last church I pastored, I was putting in about 60-plus hours a week laboring in the Word of God and ministering to the saints. Our entire lives were dedicated to ministering to the saints. And about that time, I had a gentleman tell me he was leaving the church. He couldn't be a part of it anymore because he could not imagine what I was doing with all my time. You see, when you dedicate your entire life to serving Jesus Christ and his people, it hurts when men have this approach. And that is the attitude that Paul is warning about. Respect those who do take the time to labor in the word. The next part of verse 12 tends to rub some people the wrong way, where Paul writes that these men are over you in the Lord. The wording itself means to stand before or to preside. And it carries the idea of the type of guidance these men are to give to the church. It carries the idea of leading, of protecting, and caring for the body of Christ. These are to be men that are leading the body of Christ, not because of personal ambition or because of a desire for the attention of men. They are to be leading the body of Christ because of their maturity in the faith. And part of their work is to admonish the saints. This teaching here is not always popular. The very idea of this is to warn or to caution. And the wording means to put into mind. And the implication is calling attention to something 
that is wrong. It is calling attention to something which a person may have forgotten about or may not have been aware of. This could be a rebuke. It may be just a warning to be on guard in their faith. The goal, in a spirit of love, is to see their brothers and sisters in Christ walk in obedience to Christ. The tone of this passage is not a dictatorship, but the tone of this passage is that of an older brother in the faith coming alongside and pointing the way, urging men and women, teaching men and women to follow the word of God. Then notice this next expression, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. The idea here is respect for the great work of laboring in the word and laboring for Christ. The responsibility before the Lord to admonish men and women in the body of Christ, it's difficult work, especially in our day and age. No one wants to be challenged. No one wants to be corrected. Everyone wants to do what is right in their own eyes. Now notice Paul mentioned to esteem them very highly in love. Whenever love does not dominate the discussion, there will always be a problem. But notice the little phrase, be at peace among yourselves. The intent of this statement has to do with what was just discussed in verses 12 and 13, that the leadership of any church and the men and women of any given body of believers should actively strive in love to be at peace within the fellowship, understanding that unity comes as we draw closer to Jesus Christ and his word. Every single person within the body of Christ must understand that they have a role to play in maintaining that peace. This means not taking part in gossip and not trying to divide the body of Christ. And this means not putting one another down within the body of Christ because this type of sin, it can destroy the testimony of the church. Now, this doesn't mean we can't challenge someone's doctrine when it doesn't line up with the word of God but it absolutely means we do everything in a spirit of love for one another in the faith. Take a look at the instruction that comes out of this in verses 14 and 15. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. First, Paul tells us to warn those who are unruly. This is a very good literal translation of the word used. It was a military term used as someone who is breaking ranks. Here, it carries the meaning of someone who is sitting idle, someone who is not taking care of their daily work. Remember what we've seen before, because they expected the return of Christ at any moment. Some were actually sitting around and felt that there was no more need to work. So the instruction here was to tell those who are sitting around doing nothing to quit mooching. No one likes a mooch, so get to work, get busy, and carry your own load. Comforting the faint-hearted, this would be those who were discouraged or worried. These brothers and sisters in the faith needed someone to come alongside of them and encourage them to continue the battle for the Lord. Paul wanted the church to uphold the weak. Paul was not talking of the physically weak. He was talking about those weak in Jesus Christ. And I think one of the greatest ways that we can help the weak is to help them come to a proper understanding of the Word of God with whatever it is that they are struggling with. 
Notice how Paul ends verse 14. Four little words that bring a heap of conviction for most of us. Be patient with all. The meaning intended here is that whenever you are dealing with someone who is struggling, dealing with those who are sitting idle, dealing with the faint-hearted in the weak, it's easy to lose your patience. But remember some of the words of 1 Corinthians 13, love suffers long and is kind. Galatians 5 reminds us that long-suffering is the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, not becoming irritated, mad, upset, or just plain old cranky while dealing with other Christians is a part of the fruit of the Spirit that comes by yielding our hearts and minds to Christ. It is the love of Christ that we must manifest towards our brothers and sisters in the faith. With verse 15, it becomes clear that Paul is now expanding his teaching to not just how we treat one another in the faith, but to how we treat anyone, whether they are in Christ or not. And take a look at the first part of the statement where Paul tells the church, see that no one. The wording that is used by Paul is strong. It carries the force of saying, be careful, be on guard, that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. The temptation to retaliate is something that each person within the body of Christ must wrestle with and make sure that they do not give in. And the danger for the church at Thessalonica was real because of the persecution they were facing. Revenge is not something that should come from anyone who is in Christ. Christ himself taught on this in Matthew 5 where he said, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Or how about Romans 12 where Paul wrote, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The tendency of the flesh, the tendency of sinful men is to fight back and retaliate. But the Lord teaches us through Paul, overcome evil with good. And this is part of what Paul teaches us here in the second part of verse 15 by saying, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. We must pursue the greatest good for everyone involved in every situation. And this takes work. This takes a huge effort and a conscious decision on our part. This takes the grace of God at work in our lives. This takes us abiding in Christ, and this takes us placing our trust during these difficult situations in Jesus Christ. The message from Paul in this text is that instead of turning on one another, we need to be thankful, which is exactly where Paul takes us next. Notice how fast the instruction now comes from the Apostle Paul. Starting in verse 16, we read, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Now the discussion moves to the inner life of the believer in Christ. And these are the attitudes which should be manifest in the lives of those who profess salvation in Jesus Christ. Think of this first bit of instruction. Rejoice always. Remind yourself of the persecution that this church faced. And yet we have the bold command from the apostle in the face of this persecution. They still were told to rejoice always. But I think Paul knew they could handle it. From day one, these believers understood the persecution that would come because of the gospel of Christ. But they also knew the joy of the Lord. The Spirit of God was giving them joy, no matter what the outward circumstances were. The application for us is that when a brother or sister in Christ is going through a very difficult time, a tough spot in life, feel confident that the right thing to do is to remind them to rejoice in the Lord. Paul told the church to rejoice always, reminding us of the importance of being able to rejoice at all times, not just the good times. And think of what Paul explained in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Over in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul said, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, once again, what do we find? Paul lived for the eternal. He kept everything in perspective of the eternal. Paul also knew that suffering brings us the opportunity to draw on the strength of Jesus Christ and to draw us closer to Christ. Think of what he said in 2 Corinthians 12. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knew and understood that our strength comes from Christ and persecution and suffering, the tough times in life, always brings an opportunity to draw closer to our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. I honestly do not think that this command for the church of Thessalonica to rejoice took them by surprise. Suffering for their faith while they carried the joy of the Lord was something that the first century church seems to have understood. The joy of the Lord comes from the Spirit of God. But at the same time, because it was something that Paul commanded the church to do, we are to understand that we must take an active role in maintaining this joy, in not allowing the world to rob the joy that comes to us in Christ. More than anyone in the entire world, because of all the blessings we have in Christ, we always have a reason to rejoice. Christians who are depressed, Christians who are down and out, They need to be reminded of every blessing we have in Christ. They need to be reminded of our glorious future with Christ. These are the truths of Scripture that will help us to get our eyes off of ourselves and on to Jesus Christ. Trust in Christ. Trust in His promises for your life. Understand your future with Christ and rejoice in the great salvation He's given us. Paul then told the church to pray without ceasing. Remember that part of the wording used here? was often used to describe a hacking cough that will not go away. Here the meaning in regard to prayer is continuous fellowship with the Lord that does not go away. The basic idea is that Paul understood that we must live our lives in constant fellowship with the Lord. The focus on prayer is not so much a concern about outward prayer as it is a concern by Paul 
that our hearts are continually turned to the Lord in constant fellowship and communication with Him. It's the quiet prayer, the one-sentence prayers, the two-sentence prayers of the heart, the constant and steady heart of the redeemed in Christ living in continued fellowship with the Lord. Paul continued by reminding the church that in everything, give thanks. The man or woman with the joy of the Lord and in constant prayer will no doubt be with a constant attitude of gratitude. A life united with God in Christ Jesus means a grateful heart to the Lord, no matter what situations may come our way. But I think the issue also comes back to trust. Trust in the Lord, trust in His plan, and trust in who He is. Because when we trust the Lord, then it is that we can truly be grateful. But notice this phrase at the end of verse 18, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, this statement ties back to all three commands to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks. Paul is telling us that God's desire for your life, God's plan for your life is constant prayer, joy of the Lord, and an attitude of gratitude. This is God's desire for us in Christ Jesus, and this is something God has actually enabled us to do. This is something God has equipped us to do because of our union with Christ and because of the indwelling Spirit of God. I cannot tell you how much I wish Christians would make living out these commands our focus. His will for your life is found right here in His Word. Take a look at the next section of our text. Starting in verse 19, we read, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The idea in verse 19 of the spirit of God represented as a fire is an image that goes back to the day of Pentecost where the outpouring of the spirit of God came upon them. And Acts chapter 2 reads, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. John the Baptist said in Matthew 3 that Jesus would come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The idea here in our text is the work of the Spirit of God represented as a fire that is being put out. The Spirit himself cannot be put out because he is God, but his work in the hearts of men absolutely can be. And it would seem from verse 20 that the issue was the prophetic utterances in the assembly of the believers. Remember, the gift of prophecy was the ability to receive direct revelation from God before the New Testament was completed. It was a foundational gift that was given to help lay the foundation for the church. And this is why Ephesians 2.20 teaches that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Recognize and understand that we have the completed New Testament, which the early church did not have. 1 Corinthians 13.8 specifically teaches that prophecies will fail. Prophecies would come to an end. In the very early days of the church, the Spirit guided the church in part through the prophets and the apostles. But now, with the completed New Testament, today the Spirit of God guides the church through His Word. And the sin that is committed today is not quenching the Spirit by despising prophetic utterances, but instead it would be to hinder the proclamation of the Word of God within the body of Christ. Paul reminded the church of the importance of testing everything. And the idea behind this is that Paul understood that just as there is revelation from God, well, there's also demonic revelation, which is meant to lead men and women astray. 
And because of this, as followers of Christ, we must test every doctrine, every teaching, every book, everything we hear on the radio and on TV with the Word of God. And to be honest, the most dangerous stuff out there today is not the wild stuff like Benny Hinn that you can spot a mile away, but the danger comes when truth is mixed with error, which is what we see more and more today. Paul teaches us that every believer in Christ has the responsibility of testing everything that is taught with the Word of God. And there's only two possible outcomes once you test every doctrine with the Word of God. One is that you hold fast what is good if something lines up with the Word of God. Hold on to that teaching. But for every teaching that does not agree with the Word of God, what does Paul tell us? Abstain from every form of evil. There's no middle ground. Either a teaching lines up with the word of God or it comes straight from the devil himself. Take a look at the next two verses. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Notice how Paul refers to God. He refers to him as the God of peace. This is a reference to the peace that only God himself can bring when men and women come to faith in him. Before our salvation in Christ, we were enemies of God, but Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, has reconciled us to God through the cross. Romans 5.10 proclaims, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. God works in the hearts and lives of those who are no longer living in rebellion against him. And the point is, only God is capable of sanctifying those in Jesus Christ. Paul's desire for this church was that God would sanctify them completely. In other words, to be set apart completely, to be holy What Paul is expressing is that not only would we continue to grow in our walk with Christ right now, but Paul was looking forward to the day when Christ returns for his church and we are truly made pure by Christ. This is when we will be sanctified completely, and this is when we will be made blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the idea Paul is putting forth by referring to the spirit, soul, and body. In other words, our entire being will be preserved blameless at the coming of Christ because we have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. But notice again what Paul proclaims in verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. God never begins a work without carrying it through to completion. God never breaks a promise. They could trust and we can trust that God will complete the great work which he has started in us. Paul concluded this great epistle to the church of Thessalonica by telling them, Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Most of us are familiar with the name Matthew Henry because of his written exposition of the word of God. Well, one day Matthew Henry was robbed by a man with a weapon. Listen to what Henry wrote about this event in his life. I have so much to be thankful for. I am thankful that God wrought such a change in my heart that it was I who was being robbed and not the one 
doing the robbing. I am thankful that even though the young man took my money, he did not take my life also. I am thankful that even though he took my money bag, there wasn't much inside of it. I'm thankful that I alone was injured and not any additional persons. I am thankful that my life is so much more than the earthly possessions God has granted to me in my sojourn here. And I am thankful that even should I have lost my life in this encounter, I know heaven is awaiting me, where the riches of God's glory far outweigh the total of all man's possessions on earth. How would you respond to being robbed? Would you be angry? Or would you have the attitude of gratitude and the joy of the Lord on display in your life? Let me ask you, what does your life look like when everything seems to be going wrong? Matthew Henry lived out the type of attitude Paul was teaching about in our text. And Paul could write as a man who had lived it out himself in his own life. Remember when Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into prison for preaching the gospel? We might have expected them to feel sorry for themselves and complain about it. But instead, the word of God records Paul and Silas afterwards were praying and singing hymns, praising God in their prison cell. When Peter and John were arrested and thrown into prison and placed into the darkest part of the dungeon, they were threatened with their lives if they were ever to talk of Jesus again. But yet, they refused to remain silent. But even more than this, we read in the word of God that the very next day, when they were released, they thanked God for the honor of being persecuted as believers, being identified as men who followed the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote the book of Philippians while he was in jail for preaching the gospel of Christ. But yet the theme of the book of Philippians is joy in the midst of trials. How do you get to this point? How do you become thankful in the middle of the worst times of your life? It boils down to how much you believe the word of God and how much you are willing to trust God in the darkest days of our journey on this earth. Develop this attitude of gratitude, living for the eternal and walking by faith, trusting in the Lord, understanding the glorious future of our redemption in Christ and resting in the joy of the Lord. This is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. So let us make sure in the difficult days ahead that we always, always reflect the hope and love we have in Christ Jesus. Before we sign off, I want to let you know that if you want to keep up to date with our ministry and how to pray for us, you can sign up for our free newsletter on our website, returntotheword.com. And while you're there, drop us a note. Let us know that you're listening. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And I pray that you will continue to grow in your faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. 
Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word 